You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. Right now, we're still talking money, though. And you showed back up for week two, which is impressive, because I mean, we talked about greed and debt and contentment last week. We're doing a series called Past Due, if it's your first time here, first time joining online, uh, about regaining control of our finances. And last week was about debt, and this week I found the perfect video to accompany last week's message. So I'm going to show it today. So let's start with this. Watch this right here. So I could have saved us all 30 minutes last week. I could have just shown that and be done because that's how you get out of debt. Don't buy stuff you can't afford, right? Um, if only it was that easy. <laughs> and of course, I guess it is that easy in theory, but in practice, it's not that easy. And that's why we're talking about in this series the spiritual side of money. This is not a series about the practical side of money. This is not about how to get out of debt. This is not about how to live on a budget. This is not about how to save for retirement or how to save for your kid's college. If you want to do that stuff, sign up for Financial Peace University. This is a series about the spiritual aspects of money because I think the motivations, we know what we need to do, as the video kind of poked fun at. It's, it's finding the motivation to do it, and that comes from the spiritual foundations of money. That's why instead of talking about how to get out of debt, we talked about greed and contentment. And we looked at two passages last week, one from Jesus and one from Paul. And of course, Jesus was warning us against greed and then saying life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. And then Paul was warning us against the love of money and encouraging us to be content. So today we're going to look at two, three more passages. We're going to look at three passages today, two more from Jesus and one more from Paul. And I'm just going to read them uh, in order because they all go together. They're, they're talking about the same thing, although they fall in different parts of the Bible. So the first one's in Matthew chapter 5. Or six, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Then if you flip over to chapter 19. There's a story that you're probably familiar with. Most people call this the story of the rich young ruler. It says, a man came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what, must good thing, what, must, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? He required. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, then go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Well, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich 
to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then the last one is... 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read the first half of this passage last week, and it's where Paul warns about the love of money and warns about chasing wealth. And then he gives specific instructions to the wealthy, which includes the great majority of us in this room. He says, beginning in chapter 6, verse uh, 6 to 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, there's a, there's a wealth, no pun intended, there, there's a wealth of knowledge in those three passages right there and if, if I was to put them together there's several things that I would pull out uh, first every one of them used the word treasure did you notice that how every single one of them talked about treasure but they were talking about as Jesus talked about in Sermon on the Mount treasure in heaven not on earth so it's encouraging us to take an eternal view of our money and then the second thing they talked about was every one of them obviously addresses wealth it's not necessarily a universal condemnation of wealth, though. And that's the way a lot of times we, we tend to look at that. We tend to take that love of money and just take the word love out. and It's, it's money's the root of all evil and those things. But uh, they all address wealth. But what they're more concerned about is what, what is the place of wealth in your life? Like, is, is wealth taking over as your God? Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. And if there's anything that we're more likely to serve as our God, it's, it's money. And so Jesus is warning us against that. And so the, the main concern, I think the main concern with the rich young ruler is what is the place that wealth has in his life? Because Jesus, it, some of Jesus' disciples had wealth. Uh, many of the women who funded the ministry of Jesus, and you read about that in Luke, they had wealth, but they used it to do good. And this rich young ruler wanting to, to prove himself, and you could kind of hear the arrogance even in his question. Jesus knows the place that wealth has in his life, so Jesus goes right to the heart of it and says, you need to sell everything you have because he knows that that wealth has become a god to that rich young ruler. And so the, the main thing he's talking about is put things in your place. And I love the First Timothy passage. I think that uh, is one of the most powerful passages for Americans and probably for anybody. But when I think of it, like command those who are rich in this present world. If you want to talk about globally and the present world then Americans, you know, we're the, we're the wealthiest nation in the world, or one of the wealthiest nations in the world. So if you want to talk about command those who are rich in this present world, there's three things Paul commands us to do, and they're all really, really powerful. Number one is don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. You're a steward of this money. You did not earn it all by yourself. And I, and I know, you know, like they're, they're, we get pushback. Like in America, we're like, I... What do you, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I earned this. I, had, I started from nothing, and I got that. Listen, even if you did start from nothing. Now, the fact is, in America, there's a lot of generational wealth. And so any of us can look and go, you know, yeah, I didn't earn all this myself. I had a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent or whatever that, that created some of this for me, and it's been passed down through generations, you know, this inheritance. But even if you didn't have that, 
you didn't earn it all by yourself. Somebody gave you a chance. Somebody took a chance on you and hired you. Somebody took a chance on you and bought something from you. Somebody took a chance on you. Like, like you didn't, we didn't earn it all by ourselves. Somebody helped us. So don't be arrogant about what you have. Don't be arrogant about what you earned because you're a steward of it. You're not, this is not yours. You're managing it for the short amount of time that you live upon this earth. So be humble about it. Number two, don't put your hope in it. Because it is uncertain. It, it, wealth is fickle, right? I mean, even if you think, well, I, I'm in pretty good shape right now. Yep, markets fail, economies slump, uh, businesses close, layoffs happen, you know, like uh, pandemics happen that interrupt. I mean, like, it's, wealth is uncertain. So don't put your money, and that, that summarizes nearly everything Jesus said about wealth. Don't put your hope in something that is uncertain. Put your hope in something that is certain. Put your hope in God who will provide all your needs. And then the third thing he tells us to do is do good with it. Do good with it. Be generous. Be rich in good deeds. Be willing to share. And I think all of this goes together because if you'll do number three, it'll take care of the first two. If, if you'll see your wealth as an opportunity, if we'll pivot and not see our wealth as an opportunity, hey, I got a lot of wealth, I can eat, drink, and be merry, like we talked last week, you know, that the wealth is not an opportunity to serve you, the wealth is an opportunity to serve God, and if you'll see it in those terms, then it'll keep you from being arrogant about it, because you see it as an opportunity to, for greater service and greater generosity, and it'll also keep you from putting your hope in it, because you'll see it as, you know, God is giving me this wealth, God's giving me this ability so that I can be generous, I can be willing to share, and I can be rich in good deeds. That's what Paul commands uh, the wealthy to do. And if I had to summarize all of that, I mean, if I was a good preacher, you know, I, I get the, that's the three-point sermon right there. But if I was to summarize all of that in just one principle, it's this one right here. Uh, put money in its place. That's every teaching we've looked at so far from Jesus or Paul is about putting money in its place, about having the right attitude or perspective about money. Like thinking in, our, thinking in terms of, you know, I serve God, not money. And, and uh, uh, money serves me, not the other way around. I mean, that's like, if you think about that, a lot of times we, we get that backwards. We, we end up serving our money, whether that's because we're in so much debt and you got that borrow a slave to the lender type thing, or uh, you, you got, so, you know, it's, it's just so easy that the, the more you have, that's what Jesus talks about. That passage, you know, the. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, Western theologians have a real hard time with that passage. <laughs> we have a hard time explaining that to people because it's like, man, Jesus makes it sound like if you're wealthy, you're not going to get into heaven. What Jesus is saying is, if you're wealthy, there's going to be a lot more temptation to put money as your God. Because the more you have, the more tempted you are to give it a higher place in your life. So, so he is giving a, a, a warning. The disciples caught what is warning. I mean, Peter understood what he meant because Peter's like, what, whoa, what do you mean, Lord? You know, goodness, what you're describing is impossible then. And Jesus said, with man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He's saying, with great wealth comes great responsibility. And the more you have, the more tempted you are to, to serve the money, rather than having the money serve you, or rather, rather than have the money serve God, the more tempted you are to do that. I, um, you know, I, I heard someone say once that the clearest indication of our values is where we spend our time and where we spend our money. 
So if you'll think about, like we would say, all of us in this room, most of us in this room would say, well, God's number one in my life. God is my number one priority. My faith is number one, and then my family is number two. Well, then you ask yourself, does the way I spend my money reflect those values? Does the way I spend my time reflect those values? And if it doesn't, then something needs to be adjusted. And that's, again, that's why we're talking not the practical aspect of this series, but the spiritual aspect of this series, because proper money management, regaining control of your finances starts here and here. I mean, it, it, it starts with getting your mind right and thinking about having the right attitude and approach to money and then getting your heart right that you're not putting your hope in this, and that's not the only thing that you're chasing. You're not just chasing wealth. You're not just chasing income. You're not just chasing possessions, but that you're chasing God. And God may give you these things so that you can use them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. Which would be an incredible thing. The question then that I would have for you is, are you ready to use it if he gives it? <laughs> like, have you prepared yourself for if you receive you know, the, blessing, you know, the blessings of hard work or the blessings of whatever, are you ready to use it to do good? I'll tell you a story real quick about this guy right here. I'll show it to you, picture here. I don't know if any of you recognize that guy. My guess is nobody recognizes him. Uh, he was uh, pretty famous in the mid-20th century. But his name is R.J. Letourneau. R.J. Letourneau had a seventh grade education. He uh, taught himself engineering, a self-taught engineer. And he was an inventor and an industrialist. So he's got 299 patents to his name. And he created all of this earth-moving equipment that helped our country win World War II and also built most of the interstate highway system. So he's this very famous. Now, you, just from the things I told you there, 299 patents, helped the country win World War II, interstate highway system, you also figured out that he's pretty, pretty wealthy. And at his time, I don't know what his net worth was, was worth, but he was a very wealthy person. But what he's famous for, the reason people still talk about R.J. Letourneau and the reason there's a book written about this guy is not because of what he did in business. It's what he did with his money. Letourneau's famous for giving away 90% of his wealth and living on 10%. Now, if you're familiar, if you're part of the church, you know, you're familiar with that tithe, you know, the 10%. We talk about, you know, you should give 10% of your first fruits to God and all that kind of thing. Letourneau flipped it around on its head. He lived on 10% and gave 90%. And it's, it reminds you, you know, like uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and some other, you know, real wealthy philanthropists have made similar pledges like that. I think Buffett and Gates was even like, we're going to live on 1% and give away 99%. But what, what makes his unique, I think, is one, it was fueled by his faith. He wasn't trying to be a philanthropist. He was just trying to be a Christian in his mind. And so like he, his faith really fueled the decision, and he gave it to Kingdom Building Initiatives. But the other thing that makes this one unique is he decided to do it before he had the money to do it. He decided this in his 30s. So like his, his sister, he was going through, he was in a lot of debt, and uh, he was going through a period of depression and some things like that. And his sister, who had a very strong faith, had told him, RJ, you've got to turn your life over to God. You've got to serve God. You've got to serve God. And in his mind, serving God looked like, well, you've got to be a preacher. You've got to be a missionary or something. You know, that's what you've got to do in order to serve God. And he went to a revival, and the preacher was talking to him and said to him wisely, RJ, yes, we need Christian preachers, and yes, we need Christian missionaries. 
But we also need Christian businessmen. And so if, if you would take what you've been given and use it to serve God, that's what I think God's calling you to do. And that's what R.J. decided to do. He said from that point on, he considered God his business partner. That was the way he thought of it. It was like, I'm going to take God on as my business partner, and if I'm going to be a businessman, then I'm going to be a businessman for God. And, and that, I mean, that'll change the way you think about money, right? That'll change the way you think about income or earnings or revenue or any of that kind of stuff because he sees God as his business partner. And he made the decision at that point that he was going to start giving away 90% and living on 10%. And I, what's amazing, the reason that's amazing to me is because I think most of us have the, maybe, I, maybe I'm the only one, but most of us kind of feel like, you know, well, if I had that kind of money, of course. Yeah, I mean, like, come on, 10%. That's probably way more than I make. If I had his kind of money, if I had Gates' kind of money, if I had Buffett's kind of money, of course I would give it all away. Absolutely. But in reality, we wouldn't. <laughs> because money doesn't make us anything. This is a great misconception about money. Money doesn't make us greedy. Having more money doesn't make you more greedy. Having more money doesn't make you more generous. You say, well, once my income hits this level, or once my income hits this level, or once, we're, once we get our, you know, to here, I'll be generous. I just got to get to this point in order to be generous. Money doesn't make you generous. And money doesn't make you greedy. Money just magnifies what you already are. So it doesn't make you anything. If, if, if you're greedy with a little, you'll be greedy with a lot. If you're generous with a little, you'll be generous with a lot. That's a, that's a biblical principle. If I can entrust you with a little, I can entrust you with a lot. And so RJ already had this kind of characteristic of his faith, and he got a lot. He ended up getting a lot, and he was generous with a lot. Now, I don't tell you that story to say, you know, you need to give 90% of your income in a tithe. You know, that's not the reason I'm telling you that. Most of us will never get to that point where we're giving that much. So I'm not, that's not the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story is not to say, listen, if you'll start doing this, you'll be rich. You know, that's, that's that prosperity gospel, which I reject. I don't think Jesus teaches that. You know, so it's, I'm not saying, like, if you'll just start giving away more, then God's going to bless you and you're going to be rich. I tell you the story because RJ is just an example. And, yeah, he's probably an extreme example because he's so radical in this. But RJ is an example of somebody who put money in its place. That's what it looked like for him. He put money in its place. He had the right attitude and the right approach to money. And he didn't, he didn't serve money. He made sure that he served God. And, and that's all I think Jesus is asking us to do. That's all Jesus was asking the rich young ruler to do. Was to, to have the right attitude and approach towards money. That's what he's asking his disciples to do. That's what Paul's asking the wealthy in, in this church in Ephesus when he writes to Timothy. Apparently there were some, some wealthy people in the church of Ephesus. And so Paul's writing to him and saying, Timothy, listen. Tell him don't get arrogant. Tell them don't put their hope in it, and tell them to do good with it. Be rich in good deeds. And in that way, when you're rich in good deeds, what did Paul say? In that way, you will store up treasure for yourself in heaven. And that kind of, that's where it all comes back to, is storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. And, that, and then that's not just about like how much you give. That's not about just how much you spend or how much debt you have or all those kinds of things. That looks different for every single one of us. It's about our attitude and perspective. It's about putting Christ first. That's the, that's the motivation of the scriptures when it comes to money. I, I want to close. Uh, I want to read 
and the band's going to come back out here as I'm, as I'm reading this, but I want to read you the last half of what Paul wrote to Timothy from the message version because it just puts it in a little dif- different perspective here. And um, it's, it's down, starting around verse 11. He says, but you, Timothy, and this is kind of his personal instruction to Timothy, but you, Timothy, man of God, run from, for your life, from all this. Talking about the lust of money or the love of money. Run for your life from this. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, courtesy. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life, the life you were called to, the life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. But this is where I think he really starts to drive his point home. He says, I'm charging you before the life-giving God and before Christ who took his stand before Pontius Pilate and didn't give an inch. Keep this command to the letter. And don't slack off. Our master Jesus Christ is on his way. He'll show up at the right time. His arrival guaranteed by the blessed and undisputed ruler, the high king, the high God. He is the only one death can't touch. His light's so bright no one can get close. He's never even been seen by human eyes. Human eyes can't take him in. Honor to him and eternal rule. Oh, yes. Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves. And so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches we could ever imagine. Tell them to do good, to be rich in helping others, and to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last. Gaining life that is truly life. And oh, my dear Timothy, guard the treasure you were given. Guard it with your life. Avoid the talk show religion and the practiced confusion of the so-called experts. People caught up in a lot of talk can miss the whole point of faith. Overwhelming grace keep you. Let's stand and sing this song together. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.